welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello and welcome. Today on the show, I have Luke LaPont, Senior Principal at Mercer. Mercer is, of course, a well-known, very large consulting company that consults on various aspects of business. But today in particular, he's come on the show to talk about their compensation planning survey. And this is a survey about employers and what they're looking to accomplish or what they're looking to do when it comes to salaries for staff in the coming year. So I thought we, while this is not a financial planning topic per se for all the business owners listening, it's definitely one that's top of mind given the inflation environment in the last few years. And with that, here's my interview with Luke. Luke, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Jason. So Luke LaPalm of uh, Mercer, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is you do? Sure. So my particular area of expertise is with regards to compensation. So we advise clients on management of compensation programs, salaries, how incentives are designed, both short and long term at the executive level and at the uh, salaried level. So I've been in the field for 20 years and uh, uh, enjoy doing it. Very much so. Excellent. All right. So basically, and then let's just actually, before we get into the actual survey, talk to me a little bit about Mercer and what they do. I know it's a very loaded question, but uh, <laughs> a lot. Yeah, Mercer, Mercer is a very large organization, of course. We are a large HR consulting firm. If I had to boil it down into something more simple. So we've got our main areas of business are health, which is benefits, things around benefits, wealth. Uh, so if we're talking about pension plans and management of portfolios, and then career, which is the area where I'm at, where we do consulting with regards to HR-related issues, such as employee engagement, succession planning, and compensation, all those, all those things bundled up together. So we're all over the world, quite a large organization, and, and everyone has their niche. Uh, so we're, we're kind of a one-stop shop for many organizations for consulting purposes. Good stuff. All right. So let's jump into the survey. Tell us about the survey and question that we're discussing today. Sure. So uh, the compensation planning survey is a, is an important one that we conduct uh, every year to gather from the organizations that participate what their intentions are in terms of uh, salary adjustments. And this year in particular, what are the salary adjustments that are forecasted for 2024? There are over 500 organizations that participate. Uh, that participated this year in the survey across multiple sectors, uh, 15, we could say more than 15 sectors, also across the country and of various sizes. So a very good representative sample for Canada. Excellent. Okay. So what were the overarching findings of this study? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there were two, I think, two key takeaways. One is that the markets appear to be cooling from a compensation perspective. And I can, I can get into more details on that. Uh, the, the forecasts for 2024 are lower than what they were last year. So the forecasts are 3.7% for 2024. Last year, it was 4.1%. Uh, so it's going down. So that's the first takeaway. The second takeaway is that there's an increasing increasing in transparency with regards to pay. And there are different forces in play that, that are pushing organizations to be more transparent. And to define transparency, what I'm talking about is 
communicating to the employee what their salary band is. So what the job is worth so that they have a better idea of, of where they're positioned. So there, there's an increase in transparency amongst organizations. So those are the two key takeaways from this survey. Okay. So, all right, let's talk about this. Clearly the big, everyone's discovered how much inflation can hurt in the last couple yes. of years. And I think back to when inflation started to take off and we got to the first kind of year-end reviews and the number, the amount of buzz I heard about people saying like, no, we're not going to just increase inflation. You know, we're not just because inflation is higher, not, we're not going to basically match that. You know, we may have been doing inflationary matches before, but those were reasonable. This is crazy. And that was a common refrain I was hearing left, right, and center. Now that is effectively a real, you know, in real terms, a cut in salary. Uh, but it was one that frankly, I think it's a normal reaction is to say like, hey, I've anchored on this previous thing before. It's now a lot higher. I'm not going to play this game. And now that was that was last year, 3.7. I think some people played that game. Not everybody, clearly. Sorry, 4.1, right? Because 4.1, that's right. Even though inflation was a lot higher and now it's coming down. I mean, in general, I'm just going to state the economic principle, you know, sooner or later, if the labor market's tight enough, someone in that, someone's going to break, right? And suck up talent from people who are basically not happy about their salary, not moving for a couple of years. And then eventually everything hits equilibrium. But that doesn't happen overnight. So that yeah. so right now, so talk to me about, you know, besides inflation, is there anything else driving this conversation at this point? Is our labor markets driving this right now? Yeah, that's a hot topic and, and a question that we're often asked about that because historically salary increases have always been a little bit above inflation by 1%, give or take, of course. And now that's not the case anymore. So to your point or earlier, it's, yes. <laughs> yeah, to, to your point earlier, this is like a reduction in salary in, in essence. And so a couple of things that are influencing this as well as, well, number one, increasing salaries uh, more aggressively uh, actually contributes more to inflation. So it's like a double-edged sword. But also we were always talking about the great resignation during the pandemic. And then it, you could call it or relabel it the, uh, the great, forget the name, but it, it basically employees have been finding different jobs and they've moved around a lot. So attrition has has been reduced quite a bit. Um, what I mean by that is, is turnover. One of our studies, not this one, but one of our studies indicated that attrition last year was 21%. It went down to 18% this year, which means there's a lot more stability. Hold on. Yeah, on average. average yeah. On average, some companies were, the average company was losing one in five employees. Yeah, that's Ooh. correct. Yeah, that's that correct. It, it was, uh, and and you know, obviously trying to find uh, replacements. There were early retirements, as we know, during the, the pandemic. So the labor market's tight, but also uh, organizations are looking, um, they're, they're not fighting the, the, the talent or winning the talent war with just salaries alone, right? So we talked about 3.7% for 2024. Of course, there are some organizations that'll be more aggressive with that. But the other thing too, is that with that budget, it's to not allocate it equally to all employees, but giving a bigger budgets or bigger increases to key talent, key employees, high performers, and of course, being able to, to spread out that budget in a way that makes sense for the company. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. That's kind of, we'll get back to the transparency piece later. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that is a known phenomenon in inflation is that expected inflation kind of creates inflation, right? You know, if, if employers think that inflation is going to be high, they're going to basically have to adjust their expectations for what they're going to pay people a little bit more. And therefore, there's a, there's a feedback effect, right? And, you know, especially 
especially in more let's call it a contract unionized world where that is very that's a big that's a big thing you know when you're locking in payment terms for years on end thinking that as an employer that okay if inflation is going to be five percent a year just picking a number uh for the next for the next five years and these guys are willing to take take four percent oh man i just won but then that actually helps create the long-lasting inflation which is a problem so question becomes how much of that are you seeing and do you think you're capturing in the survey if anything yeah, we're, we are actually not capturing that in the survey. The survey does not cover unionized employees. It's all non-union. But for certain, if there are pressures in that area with regards to increasing wages, we talked a little bit about hourly employees, whether they're unionized or not, it will have uh, an effect of putting more pressure on organizations to increase salaries. For example, Ontario minimum wage as of, I believe, October 1st, went up from $15.50 to $16.55, I believe. Yep. So those, those sorts of things do have a ripple effect, right, in creating pressures in the market for more competitive pay. Uh, yeah, which makes perfect sense. I mean, that, and, and I think one of the things that goes kind of undiscussed enough when we start talking about, like, the cost of inflation when it comes to just eating out is, I think people mm -hmm. forget, it was, it was not that long ago that uh, minimum wage for servers took an enormous leap under under previous governments. And since then, it's been just continuing to trend upward with inflation, which I think there's, it's good and bad, right? Again, the, the kind of programmatic, we're going to match inflation kind of like creates the inflation itself. So it's troubling. But yeah, it's, it's a common, it's a common issue. So all right. So we have we have this scenario now people are expecting it. The expectations clearly are lower, right? I mean, that's what we're seeing on the trends. Yes. So yeah, that's correct. Bank of Canada is what's happening, or is there anything else driving this? Or is it just so? How much of that? How much of that is expectation potentially, or can you capture that versus the labor market tightness and lack of attrition? Yeah, so the reduction in attrition certainly does reduce some of those pressures in the market. Hence, why uh, the salary forecasts are lower than in prior years. Because again, there was a great reshuffle, if I can say, in the past couple of years. The other thing that's not mentioned, but this is happening behind the scenes, is that organizations are providing their employees with off-cycle adjustments, but they're not officially in those budgets. So if we talk about 3.7% mm -hmm. for next year, employees that are at high risk or due for a promotion, there's a lot of um, informal, if I could put it that way, activities happening at organizations. And so, for example, Last year, uh, we talked about the number being 4.1%, but 60% of the participants indicated that they provided off-cycle adjustments to their employees. And those are numbers behind the scenes that we do not see. So this year, high uh, cases is what you're saying. So, so basically, yeah, there, there are some hidden amounts uh, in there that we, we, we do not capture, which is why we conduct the survey more than once a year. And we also uh, obviously gather salary data in different surveys to see what's really happening. And, and so, yes, so this year, 40 or 45%, um, I try to remember the number, but it's gone down. Uh, I would say around 40% of the organizations participating this year indicate, again, that they plan on making these off-cycle adjustments during the year, um, mm. but that's not captured in the budget. I uh, got it. So basically, they're kind of, I mean, it makes sense. They're keeping, they're being nimble, right? You know, if they feel right. danger or they feel that, you know, certain people are being priced at the market or they need to secure people, they'll move, but that's not being captured in this data. So, so if anything, there's definitely an argument to be said that it's higher than what you're capturing in the in in this entire study. That's correct, and and I, I can share an anecdote. A few of my clients um, that I've been speaking with in the past couple of years, because of the flexible or the the new way people work, working from home, especially in the professionals, that we're sort of reducing or eliminating in some cases the geographic boundaries, and so 
for example, you can have an employee in the suburbs of Montreal that now works for a company in Toronto remotely for a higher salary. So some organizations are nationalizing their salary structure so that it's it's more reflective of well, what's the national pay level as opposed to Toronto versus Montreal versus Vancouver. And for certain positions as well, uh, some organizations target the 75th percentile of the market to be much more competitive with certain roles. So th there's a lot of, of a lot of activity going on, of course. Yeah, I'd say there's a danger there that I've seen. I mean, danger to some, when you're in the big city, there's no danger there. You're, you're poaching talent from smaller venues, yeah. uh, smaller cities. The danger is if you're in the smaller cities. I mean, I've, I, you know, in particular, I remember having a conversation with someone in the accounting field in the U.S. and the large accounting firms in the U.S. and New York and D.C. and other places just started poaching talent mm -hmm. from all over the country and literally almost shutting down some operations in not what we'll call necessarily remote, but but you know, small to mid-sized cities because they were able to pay salaries that were cheap to them, but substantially above what the regional salary was. So it's uh it's it's an interesting adjustment in the marketplace for everybody to have this kind of this kind of dynamic happening. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting. And what's also interesting is that in the US, the forecasts are still high, right? They're they're at four point one percent for next year. Is that largely, you know, probably due to our influx of immigration potentially and the labor force changes, or is that or is there another reason that you can attribute to that? Uh, I think I think there are so many socioeconomic factors that play into that. And it, it, again, it's a national average. So it means different things in different states, uh, different industries. Yeah. Same thing for Canada, of course. Some sectors are more aggressive, some are less, depending on their needs and the, the attrition, of course. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the second trend. The second trend is specifically about increasing transparency, specifically around mm -hmm. bans. So yeah. no one likes the idea of finding out that their coworker is paid more than they do. They may like the idea of finding out that they get paid more than their coworker does, but yeah. no one likes that. It can lead to resentment. And income is one of those things you're not supposed to talk about, right? So not surprising this was an issue. So talk to me about like what's driving this change. Yeah, there are two, I think, two key elements that are driving this change. First, it's been a request by employees for many years now in our uh, other surveys we've seen. For example, we have a survey called Inside Employees' Minds. And in that survey, what was interesting is that 60% uh, of Canadian employees say that they benchmark themselves or they'll fit, they'll find a way to understand what the value of a particular job is. What's even more interesting is 40% of Canadian employees said that they would not apply for a job if the band, the salary band of that particular job is not also posted. Um, mm -hmm. So so there's definitely, that's one part uh, of the equation that's forced, that's that's pushing employees, companies to be more transparent. But the other force is also legislation. So there's a there's new legislation in British Columbia uh, starting on November 1st. All job postings must include the salary band. So this is going to put more pressure on companies across the country because employees can now start leveraging that information and can come up with their own assumptions as to what the job their job is worth and where they fit within that. So it will and it is pushing organizations to be more transparent with that regard. Now, telling employees how much other employees are paid or what their bonuses are, that's of course not happening. We're talking about the salary band itself. So we're, we're seeing more companies now that, are, that have either started communicating the salary band to their respective employees or that are looking into a way to do it because being too transparent could also create problems. Employees can start focusing too much on that. And, and of course, how much they're earning relative to their colleagues. It's a privacy issue, of course. And so, so we have to ha find a happy 
happy middle ground of, okay, how much can we disclose? How much are we comfortable disclosing without, you know, creating too many issues? Yeah, it's an interesting thing too, right? Because there's like needs, there's there's both laws and just general best practices around pay equity, right? Like same job, same level should be running the same thing, unless there's some other extenuating circumstance that drives that, right? And sometimes the, what the eyes of the what that is in the eyes of the of the employee is different than what it is in the eyes of the um, of the of the employer. So that can lead to challenges. So what we're really talking about is at least an expectation of a range, just to say, look, this is the range we pay. Oh, and yeah. Yeah, I think it's also I'd say it's also kind of motivating because it's like, OK, the question of what I got to do to get to that upper range should be, mm-hmm. you know, first and foremost, on people's minds. But the entire I get the entire no one wants to apply for a job, but they go go through a process only to turn around and find out it's paying half of what they actually needed to. It's a waste of time for everybody. Yeah, that's correct. And, and it is, in a sense, uh, a bit of an incentive to your point. Some organizations also disclose the band above the employee's current band. So it gives them an idea, a sense of uh what is the the salary expectation? Should I get promoted to the next pay grade? So that's also quite interesting. We have to be careful when we talk about pay transparency, though. It depends on the maturity of the business from an HR compensation perspective. For example, if a company um, is growing rapidly, they're, they're probably not likely very well structured in terms of pay. Companies that are growing through mergers and acquisitions, uh, same thing there. You've got a multitude of different types of pay systems. And so it's not a good time to talk about salary bands if it's all over the place, because there's some, obviously there's some integration work to be done. So it really depends on how comfortable and, and how equipped an organization is to, to be able to, to talk about the salary band itself to their employee. Now that said, I mean, the entire legislation around uh, what's happening in BC, it's, I find that fascinating because two things, I mean, it'll, I think it'll help normalize those bands probably just by creating transparency around, see what everybody else is paying, but also the it's the phenomenon of, of regulation typically spreads a lot further than where it's intended to simply because like national orgs aren't necessarily going to create a HR policy for listing salary bans in one, in one state and this uh, sorry, one, one province, you have a lot of Americans, one province, and then basically just ignore and not do the same thing for other provinces, right? You know, some very well might, but a lot of them are just going to be like, you know, this is our policy across the board from now on. Yep, it's a very interesting observation, and and for sure we've we've seen organizations rather than having salary structures that are adopted for each province or each metropolitan area, they're just nationalizing, right? To the point I made earlier, and I think this will further contribute to that, given the the, the data that's being already published uh, in the marketplace. And so, yeah, it, it will I think be an extra factor or dr- or force driving companies to rethink well, their transparency, but also uh, what they would consider competitive. Uh, depends on the job, depends on the in- industry, but it's definitely an influencing factor. Yep. So then the question becomes, what other than those two big takeaways did you find in this study? Other than those other big takeaways, I, I could say that, well, we've seen historically with this survey, a lot of aggressive adjustments. And that was largely due to the pandemic where adjustments were very, very low at the time, two, two and a half percent, depending on the organization you're talking to. Adjustments in 2022 and 2023 were quite aggressive compared to the past couple of years and even pre-pandemic. So now that we're seeing it go down, I think another interesting point that I didn't mention is that last year, 60% of companies indicated a budget of 4% or more, which, and some organizations even had budgets of 20%. IT was a very hot one and health life sciences was another hot one last year. This year, 
the majority of participants indicate 3% as opposed to 4. So that's what's also driving down the average. So I would also say take this with not necessarily a grain of salt, but um, 85% of the companies that participated said that they have not finalized that decision yet, right? 15% had it approved. This is a survey that's filled out by HR. It was filled out in August. So we're, we're relaunching it in on the 23rd of October to see, okay, now that we're closer to year end, what is the real amount, right? The forecast can increase or can decrease, but for the time being, between the discussions with HR and finance, what is that number going to look like? So just to be careful. And also, that's a piece of market data, but it's market data, right? Uh, what's best for your organization? What can you afford to do? Uh, those are all things that, that the company themselves need to, uh, management needs to consider. So this is just a piece of the puzzle, but it gives you at least an idea of where things are going. All right. So basically, if uh, you were, I don't know, working at a consulting company that advised HR managers, like, what are the big things you'd be advising them to do right now at this point or be considering other than just looking at the study and understanding where they sit in the, in the grand scheme of things? Yeah, look at, make, look at the engagement levels, right, of your employees. I think that's an important one because you can see an employee leave a company for the same pay or even a pay reduction because it's not necessarily the pay that's, that's retaining them or attracting them. They might be leaving because they don't get along with their managers or they might be leaving because uh, of the culture of the organization. So we could talk about the employee experience. Uh, I think that's uh, something that is ignored by many organizations. I'll give you an example. We focus a lot on customer satisfaction and client satisfaction. And so, for example, if I wanted to buy something on Amazon, I grab my phone, 30 seconds later, I click buy, it shows up at my door the next day. Super easy process. If I'm an employee. What's, what's that experience like? For example, if I don't know how many vacation days I have left for the year, is it also a 30-second process or do I have to go to my manager? Then they have to go to HR. It becomes very frustrating trying to make my plans. And so think about the customer, the, the employee experience as well. And I think that will help, especially with these lower budgets. So it's the intangibles that matter as well. Excellent. Right. So thanks a lot. Luke, uh, where can people find this study? Is it publicly available or do you at least publish some articles on it? Uh, yeah, we have a site called imercer.com where organizations can go and consult uh, the various studies. There are many studies uh, aside from that one where they, they can purchase the survey and those that participate uh, obviously get a copy of the report as well. So I would encourage companies to participate as well. It, it feeds into our database. It gives us more robust samples, obviously. So yeah, imercer.com. Excellent. Luke, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you very much, Jason. So that was today's episode of Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever it is your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.